0: I'm Sasha Ann Simons and this is Reset. It's Friday, the time to make sense of the biggest local and statewide stories in our weekly news recap.
1: We have reached a critical point in our city's migrant situation. Cold weather and snow have arrived. More than 3,000 new arrivals still don't have a roof over their heads. City council votes whether or not to bring Chicago home with a new tax on high-value property sales to help the homeless. To
0: adjourn or not to adjourn, the lights went out while some city council members claimed the meeting wasn't
2: officially over. It was the end to a chaotic special meeting that centered around the migrant
1: crisis.
0: Let's meet our panel this week. Tina Spondellas is the chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Farrah Schutz is a WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. And joining us for the first time on the News Recap is Daniel Knowles, Midwest correspondent for The Economist magazine. Let's start with City Council, where a meeting on Chicago's sanctuary city status ended abruptly yesterday. What happened, Dan?
3: The aldermen who want to kind of have this big question about, uh, you know, whether Chicago should remain a sanctuary city or not can't actually get together 26 aldermen in a room to debate it. Um, so it sort of had this very messy uh, period in city council. And I, I don't normally watch city council most weeks, but I did this one, uh, and it was it was kind of chaotic, yeah. um, but came out with nothing in the end.
1: But the, the the interesting thing about this is, so the sanctuary city. What what is that sanctuary city? at its core means that uh, Chicago police can't share uh, the status of uh, someone's immigration uh, with immigration authorities um, if somehow someone's in police custody. It basically protects undocumented immigrants. This has nothing to do with the current migrant crisis because these are all asylum seekers that are here legally, they're in this country legally right now, awaiting um yeah. their, their asylum cases to be adjudicated. But what it seems like is aldermen like Anthony Beale and Ray Lopez are kinda using the panic over this to then interject this other issue of Sanctuary City.
0: Yeah, and now a number of high-profile votes got delayed this week, Paris, including a proposal to increase the real estate transfer tax on uh, on Chicago properties that are over a million dollars.
1: It got delayed, but it's pretty much a fait accompli. I mean, it passed out of committee, uh, and this is kind of what aldermen do when they want, you know, to stall something. Um, basically, the aldermen that are in support of this... Uh, Headed off the folks that want to stall it and said, mm-hmm. like, "Well, we'll just stall it ourselves." Eventually, it's likely going to pass. And again, let's remind everybody what this does. This is the Bring Chicago Home Ordinance. Right, it would bring in about a hundred million dollars a year by having a graduated tax on real estate sales. So, sales over a million dollars, that rate would. Uh, double um, for that amount over a million dollars and then it would quadruple for the amount over 1.5 million dollars. Now the way to sell this is they've lowered the rate marginally under a million dollars. So folks that have their buildings sell for under a million dollars, they would pay a little bit lower rate on that real estate tax. And again, it's to house the homeless, it's to provide services for the homeless. is a very progressive city council. This is a priority of the yeah. mayor. This is something he's going to get. So
0: any idea then when this proposal might come before the elders for another vote?
1: whenever they dis- whenever they have a special city council meeting they decided to defer and publish whenever the next city council meeting is or they could call a special They're city council They're going to say
0: whenever meeting. they get it together.
1: Whenever they get it together <laughs> it's going to pass. But the, here's the th- we got to remind everybody though this just puts a referendum question on the ballot in March. So this is going to go to the voters. The voters are going to get to decide do we want this graduated tax and you can expect the real estate industry and other folks to spend a lot of money on advertisements and political advertising mm-hmm. trying to persuade voters one way or the other.
0: There was fierce debate around expanding paid leave for Chicago workers. What happened there, Tina?
2: Uh, That was also delayed this week. Um, So Mayor Johnson did one of his campaign promises was to get more paid time off um, for city employees. Um, And so they are fiercely, the the big businesses are fiercely opposed to this because they say that people will accrue too much time off all in one setting. And so it's, it's at 12 right now is what the proposal is but the businesses want it to be less and um, this is basically like Brandon Johnson unions versus big business and we got to see what the compromise is going to be. The state does already have something like this for state employees Mm -hmm. and it's five days Okay, um, so there could be some negotiating with that um, but it it specifically does not relate to city employees. They carve them out of that bill completely.
0: Let's uh, take a listen to what the sponsor of the ordinance Alderman Mike Rodriguez whose 22nd Ward includes Little Village and North Lawndale, had to say.
1: I am very proud to say that the days that I enjoyed with my parents going to the taste of Chicago in the summer, being able to take a drive, being able to have my mother or father there with me when I was sick will now be guaranteed to all Chicagoans.
0: So under this revised proposal, Tina, Chicago workers would be guaranteed 10 days of of paid time off. How does that compare to other big
2: cities? Um, it is a little bit more. Um, and I think it's because uh, Brandon Johnson is a union person. That's what he campaigned on. Mm-hmm. You have all of the unions backing this. Um, just an employer-friendly ordinance. Yeah. And so no, that's that's the big war, is businesses versus unions. So I, I anticipate that it will probably be something in between, a compromise between the 5 and 12. I don't know if it'll be 7, but obviously this is a national debate. People, Democrats yeah. really want to see more paid time off for employees across the
0: country. Any thoughts, Dan, on how this, this paid time off proposal compares with, with the norms in other countries?
3: <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, it's kind of always great to me as a man who comes from a country where you get at least four weeks of paid right. leave in any job. And, you know, and employers deal with this. And a lot of the kind of short-term employers, um, you know, will, they don't necessarily offer to you as paid time off. They'll just offer you in kind of extra pay. So the ways of working this around, I think the difficulty at the moment is the labor market has been so tight in the U.S. in general. You know, there are shortages of employees all around. And a lot of businesses, especially, you know, things like restaurants, um, the kind of casual employers who will be most affected by this because they don't offer any leave already. Um, you know, we'll see it as essentially another increase in their costs at a time when costs have been rising fast already and they're really struggling to get employees. On the other hand, it might mean more people want those jobs. So mm-hmm. um, I think you kind of just have to see it as an extension of pay bargaining. And, and uh, you know, and, and if it happens, employers will find a way of dealing with.
1: But But think of the concerns of the older people that have wards that are close to the suburbs. They're like, well, why would my business stay here and not just move across the street into Evergreen Park or into Oak Park or something like that Mm. um, if if there are going to be these restrictions? Uh, Again, it's part of the debate. But again, this is a very progressive city council. This is another priority of the mayors. It It seems to be the kind of thing that would have momentum. Um, you know, to pass a full city council.
0: Mm, Yeah. Well, some aldermen want to put the brakes on cars with muffler issues. That noisy nuisance could cost drivers under a proposed ordinance. What is that about, Dan?
3: Well, uh, I think this thing has been happening in a lot of places. Um, Paris did this recently, and there was a study I was reading that said that a uh, you know a single motorbike with a bad muffler going across Paris can wake up ten thousand people overnight. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you know, dense city centres, and obviously Paris very dense, but you know, parts of Chicago are very densely populated. A single noisy car can be really disruptive to a lot of people. Um, so I'm entirely pro this kind of measure, and I but I think it's it's not happening just here. There's lots of. Uh, I mean, Love to see Just this. Thing in Logan Square, <laughs> I would love to see this.
1: Oh, every, I mean, in the Loop, Streeterville, River North, it's like <laughs> it, you could be on the 50th floor and, and, and you're still going to be woken up at three in the morning.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: City Council also turned its attention to another issue. This is little free libraries, Tina. Uh, and I'm talking about, of course, if you're not following along, I'm talking about those cute little bookshelves that people set up in their yard. So, you know, when passersby can you know, stop by and take a free book.
2: But what is the problem here? The problem here is that this doesn't really make sense, but ultimately Raymond Lopez does want this ordinance where you would have to apply for a permit to get this little library so that they know who's managing it, and it would be free, so it's not like it's some sort of cost situation. Um, But people are saying that people won't understand the process to get a permit, and they won't They won't have their free libraries anymore. This is another thing that got delayed. Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of libraries. I read like one crappy fiction book a week. So in my neighborhood, I love the libraries. But this is to keep it a little organized because they say that, say you have one outside your house and somebody else starts putting things in it. It's just a way to manage who's in charge of the the free library.
0: Very interesting. And and another alderman had fun with this whole proposal by wearing a little free library costume on Halloween. Is that right?
2: Yes, uh, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. This was um, an alder person or alderman. Andre Vasquez was a little library box thingy fighting with Alderman Lopez. And he's holding a sign that says "Denied." So they're having a little We're getting joke. So with it. creative, very well, creative. And what Those was Alderman
1: Lopez? He was he was like a Marvel comic uh, villain or something like that.
2: <laughs> some sort of comic book thing with, I don't know, a, a black hood, and I I don't it's, know it's my so, Marvel. It's, I don't know
1: my Marvel. It was some villainous character, but at least you know he he played along with it, and uh, it, it was kind of a cutting little criticism from Andre Vasquez to show up as a little free library and saying "permit denied." Jeez. <laughs> yes.
0: yes. All right. I want to turn to the migrant crisis. Uh, we got an early mm-hmm. snowfall this week mm-hmm. while, while thousands of migrants were still sleeping outside. Others are sleeping in police stations, uh, being forced to spend the daytime hours outside. Uh, some 800 are sleeping at O'Hare. Walk through some of the solutions that Chicago's struggling with with me here, at Paris. I know yesterday <coughs> the the city signed a lease to turn Land in Brighton Park into a shelter too.
1: Yeah, and they're in, pending an environmental review, and then also there's a, a lawsuit there uh, among some community members to stop that. But this would be to build that these tent camps in, in this industrial kind of empty space owned by a private uh, person in Brighton Park. Um, then, you know, there's uh, there's a plan now to turn uh, a shuttered Kmart at 71st and Pulaski. Now, this the state had floated this plan back in February. It got scuttled by the local representatives mm-hmm. uh, and then a jewel, an abandoned jewel. And 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 again, you just we, we keep seeing this not in my backyard thing. But if you look at that. Abandoned Kmart that's been sitting there since 2016 in kind of an industrial slash commercial quarter. There's not a lot of residential around there. It's hard for me to understand the opposition. I mean, it, it, people. It's getting cold. People are here. They need a place to be. Yeah. This this makes as much sense as much sense as anything else. And and folks are worried about safety and they're worried about um y- you know different things that could litter or whatever it is. But but again. You, you, some older person has to step up and say, okay, in my backyard, okay, yeah. it's okay. We'd, this isn't ideal, and I know you want resources for you, but, but people, I can't stay outside when it's 20 below.
0: Yeah, 21st alderman uh, Ronnie Mosley of the the far south side opposed turning the, uh, the grocery store that you mentioned to a migrant shelter, saying that his community didn't want it. I mean, were you at all surprised that his fellow alders... Him?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised uh, at, at the reaction in general. Uh, again, the, and this is what the Sanctuary City vote strikes at the heart of it. I think the Tribune had a nice editorial saying, hey, Chicagoans, I mean, are you really as, uh, you know, generous and progressive as you say you are? I, I mean, then some older person has to step up and say, again, um, I know it's not ideal, but when you look at a place like that Jewel or that Kmart, um it makes as much sense as anything else it's mm-hmm. not near a whole lot of residential uh, areas and 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 you know the other interesting thing is it's it doesn't it doesn't break down in terms of race as much as it seemed like at the beginning there are latino older people and there are latino community members that are saying we don't want these asylum seekers here we're afraid of crime yeah um and so this and, the, and then <sighs> you have got mayor johnson um you know, in Washington saying we need money. Like, here's the other problem. The city is spending money it doesn't have to to try and solve this.
0: Well, Dan, if the city can't even accept a free building to, to house the migrants, I mean, doesn't that leave us wondering what possible solution there could be?
3: It's kind of revealing of one of the problems of Chicago governance mm. when you have this incredibly strong mayor, except when it comes to you know picking a local site, where you then have 50 sort of mayors in Alderman. You know, no other big American city has as many kind of city council members who have as much power. And I think you know when when we say, well, why are aldermen standing up for, uh, against this this free proposal? Well, they can see too the possibility that if this goes through. Then any kind of emergency measure that a mayor goes, oh, look, this is an emergency. We've got to impose on your usual old manic prerogative uh, and build a thing in your neighbourhood. Then, then they might lose that power in future. So I think there's a kind of structural problem here that that uh, everybody sort of has an incentive to stop the um, you know the obvious thing happening, mm-hmm. and the mayor has to jam it through. And I don't know quite how that will be resolved, but. It's a big victory for Greg Abbott in Texas, that's oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. If this is
1: exactly what he wanted was this kind of dysfunction. But again— Oh, yeah, Demo- remember that guy? Yeah, the, the governor of Texas. But again, I mean, Democrats in Illinois and Chicago have just not—they're not prepared for this at all. They talked the a big game. They're not prepared for this. But I should—in Chicago's defense, it's on an island here. Where are the other communities? Where's downstate? Oak Park, I think, has said some stuff about wanting to, to help out. There's a church in Oak Park that's housing about 100 migrants. But it, it can't just be Chicago's solution.
0: Yeah, And Tina, Governor Prince. Is saying the state legislature will not be approving more money for for Chicago's migrant crisis. The state,
2: uh, I spoke to someone this morning who said that they have already spent $475 million within this fiscal year. migrants, so they're like, we're done. We can't do this anymore. Um, the city wants more money from the state, but it's all coming from one pot, so it doesn't really make a difference if they get the money. You know, it's not; it's just all the same money. They do need more federal help. Um, there are some things that are getting a little better. Obviously, the winter situation is going to be horrible, but the busloads of, of migrants that they said were coming in a couple of months ago have been a little bit less than they expected. That's one good thing, and then also that the per, the work permits from the Venezuelans, the TPS that is going to be coming in soon. Um, it's a complicated process and they've asked the feds for help to try to alleviate some of, the, there's a fee to the visa mm. situation. It's a complicated thing. But we're going to start to see some of that. So that will kind of clear some people from these temporary shelters into actually getting work or going somewhere else.
0: Dan, European nations have had their share of, of challenges with,
3: with migrants. I mean, any thoughts on how Europeans view how we're dealing with this? I don't know if it's even kind of penetrated into sort of the consciousness. But I think in general, European countries have been intensely hypocritical all of the time about migrants. And, you know, when it was Syrians kind of six mm. or seven years ago, Afghans mm. more recently, um, people coming from wherever migrants and, you know, to, a, across the European Union, the, 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 the enforcement of sort of border controls and of controls in the Mediterranean Sea has been extraordinarily aggressively right wing and and Europeans who often want to look across at America and go oh god aren't they all run by fascists um mm. you know really uh, there's a lot happening happening uh, in you know in our backyard that be ought to that that uh, is, is pretty much as bad as anything well anything you know here. Uh, so, although there yeah. are
0: no easy answers uh, I think is our conclusion here mayor, mayor Johnson and other big city mayors they did go to the White House yesterday um,
3: looking for them any details on that visit uh, it was all kind of I Following the news, it was kind of vague on, um, you know, initially they said he'd met the president, and then it was the president's chief of staff, and there were other mayors from other cities there. Yeah, Denver, New York, L.A. and Houston were there. Um, So exactly what comes out of that, I'm keen to see, but it does seem like it should be a federal issue. To the extent you know of of, of um, migrants coming over, uh, you know who are waiting in the asylum system, ought to be supported by the federal government, and that is how it work in most countries. I think well, central governments would.
1: Well, they're asking for five billion dollars in federal help, where, where Biden is is backing a proposal uh, going through Congress that would would get one point two billion. But it's it's hard to uh, with the new House Speaker Mike Johnson, very conservative, mm-hmm. Republican-controlled House. What assistance at all is Congress going to pass? I mean, it seems to me that if there's going to be any federal assistance, it's going to have to come through executive action like FEMA funds or something. Something's going to have to be redirected to cities like Chicago, because I don't think they can count on Congress uh, to throw in anything, um, any kind of appropriations in their bills uh, to come bail Chicago out. And then you've got the DNC coming in 2024. It would It would seem to be in Biden and Democrats' best interest for Chicago not to be um, you know, in trouble. Yeah. Uh, when they're trying to put on uh their big show uh next August.
2: I do think that there will be some border security measures when Congress does another budget. So that could be a way for them to negotiate some help right. for migrants, for Speaker Johnson to say, "Hey, we're gonna you know strengthen border security. Just give us a little more money for the people who are already in." Mm-hmm. That that could happen.
0: Now, Tina, an Evanston teen kidnapped by Hamas returned home earlier this week than yesterday. Illinois Democrat Dick Durbin became the first U.S. senator to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. What are your thoughts on Durbin's decision?
2: Senator Dick Durbin is kind of opening the the flood waves of people doing this. And there's been a lot of pressures and a lot of protesters calling on members of Congress to say, we got we have to call for a ceasefire now. And um, Senator Durbin does want to see those hostages released before that were to happen. Um, but he said this on CNN. Um, and, there's, and like I said, there's pressure for the rest of uh,
3: Democratic co-
2: members of Congress
0: to, yeah. to do the same. I mean, what do you think, Dan? Do you think this signals a
3: growing divide
0: in the party over this war?
3: Um, I don't actually think so. I think there's an interesting thing going on that there's a growing... F- Fear among, you know, kind of analysts of all sorts that basically Israel isn't going to meet its sort of military goals. In fact, its military goals of sort of defeating Hamas are perhaps unmeetable. And so, you know, as the kind of civilian casualties mount, there's this kind of growing fear of, oh, you know, it's going to just look bad, and they'll end up sort of having a ceasefire anyway. So let's. So I think it's, you know, unless there's a really big change on the ground, and it looks like they really are able to take out Hamas, that. uh, this kind of pressure will keep growing because it, it just looks really ugly. You know,
1: the, the politics here are so fraught for Democrats because you have Muslim Americans uh, thinking that the party has kind of abandoned them by its blanket support of Israel. But then you have you know a lot of jewish americans these are two big democratic constituency jewish americans saying hey what about the rise in anti-semitism right now we need you to back israel uh, even stronger and you look at a state like michigan which has such a large muslim american population it's a swing state it could mean all the world in the 2024 presidential election for joe biden and for democrats and if muslim americans are saying like um, we have to take a pause on our support for you because you have this blanket support for Israel. And we believe um, that that Israel, with their actions, are are are, are wiping out uh, innocent Palestinians, Jewish Americans saying, but, you know, Hamas uh, ha- has wiped uh, Israelis out and, and taken them hostage. And they started this whole thing. I mean, and, and it's so interesting right now. I talked to the Anti-Defamation League and. There's a lot of distrust between Jewish groups and Muslim American groups right now because it's it's almost kind of like the oppression Olympics. Everyone's kind of both groups are going out saying we're the ones being more oppressed right now. Uh, and the other group saying, there's de- no, we de- are debate
0: over when this really started.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, but, uh, you know, it's it, I don't know how this resolves here. I, I don't think I've ever seen like like a divide and distrust quite like this. Um, between Muslim Americans and Jewish Americans and then, and then and just everyday Americans like picking sides here saying, well, we support Israel. Well, no, Israel has been, uh, uh, they're quote-unquote committing genocide in Gaza or, you know, we need to focus on on the West Bank and what they've done there. It's, well, you mentioned it's Michigan very fraught. It's Illinois has time.
2: a lot of Palestinian Americans as well. Right. And so our politicians are, they need to they're do torn. They, they are torn, but if they want to win elections, if they want to represent their districts, they have to listen to both sides.
1: Right.
0: All right, let's turn to something closer to home, sticking with you here, Paris, because I, I know Cook County homeowners, many mm-hmm. of them at least, experienced sticker shock yeah. this week.
1: What happened? Well, there's a study that came out of the Cook County Treasurer's Office done by former Tribune reporters uh, Hal Dardick and Todd Lighty, and I've talked to them a lot about the work they've done. But basically, um, if you live in the north or northwest suburbs, your property taxes are likely to go up uh, on average th- uh th- uh, more uh, about 15.7 uh, percent for this year over last. It's the highest rise in 30 years, um, and there's a lot of factors uh, leading to that. Remember, Cook County Assessor Fritz Kegel goes in and assesses all the property values, which is the basis of your property taxes. I'm going to shift the burden from residential to commercial. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like the opposite has happened. has happened. Yeah. So it's 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 residential homeowners uh, paying more. The reason is schools are are demanding more money uh, in their levy. Also, there was a one-time COVID discount, uh, if you will. Um, that's gone now, and so folks are kind of seeing the effects of that. And, and Fritz Kage says, hey, I tried to shift the burden from residential to commercial, but all these commercial properties, they go get these lawyers like Ed Burke used to be and Mike Madigan used to be, and they go before the Board of Review and they get those property taxes lowered. So what happens? Someone has to make up for that, and it gets shifted on to homeowners.
0: Well, it's causing quite the consequence, because we opened up the phones earlier this week on the program, and lots people of people are mad. calling in, and they're saying they're leaving. Not just mad, I'm taking my stuff, I'm packing up my wife, and I'm leaving Illinois. Packing up your wife. <laughs> packing up my things. Yikes. <laughs> All right, uh, Dan, hundreds of adjunct faculty at Columbia College went on strike Monday. What are some of the main issues there?
3: Um, uh, It's mostly about this kind of, as I understand it, this this distinction between, you know, you have an awful lot of, in in these academic institutions like Columbia College, kind of adjunct professors and, you know, junior members of staff who haven't got tenure, who don't get all the sorts of pay and conditions. All the bells and whistles. Right, that tenure professors get. And this is growing. Thing that's happening across kind of academia. There's, uh, you know, in California, there's a huge strike last year, I think, or earlier this year, of um, faculty in the University of California system. Um, basically, yeah, an awful lot of kind of uh, underpaid, you know, a- academic workers, let's say, rather than sort of tenure professors are-, are recognizing that there's a huge amount of money in the system and they're not getting it. And yeah. so I think we're going to see more of these.
0: Columbia cut 350 courses. Uh, part-time faculty courses and the uh, school, it wants to raise class size from 12 to 18, which, I mean, if you remember the days of being in school, that, that makes a huge difference, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the autoworker strike, Dan, while I have you. Uh, catch us up on where... Striking workers are with their contract and how that might impact us here
3: locally. Well, that's all looking pretty positive. You've had, uh, you know, essentially the big three all look like they're coming around now. I think only some small details to be tied up, which means that, you know, for the, the car manufacturers, um, uh, that, you know, the unionized ones, the domestic ones, that means that they can really begin making investments. Um, uh, and car prices are still very high uh, because manufacturing of cars has been so you know sort of impacted by the pandemic by various um sort of supply chain things so i think the short run we're going to see you know a big boost of investment of course that's what's just Mm -hmm. been announced for the factory in the south side of chicago a load more more um investment in the longer run i slightly wonder about a time when you have you know such high interest rates people's car payments getting very expensive and the cars that are on the market so expensive, whether as production expands, kind of uh, the manufacturers will actually be able to sell all the extra cars that they're investing in producing. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this a win for the safe. auto workers? I Certainly that, yeah. I mean, it is as long as, you know, the car manufacturers stay, stay solvent and stay profitable, they're doing very well out of it.
0: So there have also been a lot of alarming headlines about robberies increasing throughout the city this year. Though a couple of north side
3: neighborhoods, they've been hit pr- particularly hard. Get us up to speed, Dan. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, homicide is down in Chicago quite significantly so far this year. And it is in a lot of... Um big cities across the country Um, but you have a kind of rising of quite you know acquisitive sort of traditional crimes robbery, burglary is back up Um, car theft has been rising extremely fast and I think as well you know there's been growing kind of political angst because some of this is spreading into neighbourhoods that didn't really suffer that much from sort of violence but are seeing you know slightly organised crews of people coming in and and doing car jackings and armed robberies and Mm. And they're they're scared by that. So politically, it remains this kind of big issue. And I think, you know, the police department, um, they obviously have a new new superintendent having to work out they're talking about whether they have enough helicopters, all of these sorts of things. I think that's going to be, that's going to dominate a lot of Chicago politics for a little while. And our
0: mayor didn't have the support of the police union when he was first, uh, when he was running for for mayor. How's he getting along with the police department now?
3: Seems to be doing quite well so far, you know. Um, I was following the budget kind of committee's hearings with uh, the, with, with, with Larry Snelling, um, new superintendent, the other week, about two weeks ago. And, you know, it's all lots of practical questions, but you would not say that this is the policy being adopted by a kind of super left-wing to fund the police right. at all. This is a centrist kind of male. male and view. in the
0: north side neighborhoods I was referring to, uh, Wicker Park, Bucktown, most of Logan Square, they've seen 497 robberies this year compared to 308 at this point last year. Um, Paris. Switching gears, Chicago issued its first-ever equity report.
1: What's the scoop? Well, I think what the city's trying to do is go department by department, even the budget department, the finance department, and ask them, "What are you doing to ensure equity in Chicago that all citizens in Chicago have the same access to the same things?" Like, that was going
0: to be my next question. How does all,
1: this impact us? Right, right. Well, every no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what background you are, no matter what income level you are, that you have access to grocery stores, and you have access to clean air, and you have access to clean water, um, and you know, um one of the action items that came out of this uh, that was written about was that uh, you know the tree trimming services in the city it's usually relying on folks calling three one one well, they realize that it's mostly folks in white neighborhoods or more well-off neighborhoods that call three one one to get the tree trims. so in other neighborhoods the trees aren't trimmed so well or, Uh, And and so they decided, well, now we're going to do this on an as-needed basis, not based on who's going to call in. We're going to go section by section uh, in this city. So that's kind of an example of how the city can provide uh, services more equitably.
0: A couple other cool examples here. Department of Housing will add almost 500 housing units in neighborhoods like Inglewood, Woodlawn, and Bronzeville near transit. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Department of Finance started loan forgiveness programs to help low-income residents catch up with their utility uh, bills, uh, Tina. Before we take a pause, I want to turn to the Chicago Park District real quick because our colleague Dan Mihalopoulos, had a story about a Park District employee, uh, the daughter of disgraced former Alderman Danny Solis. What are the details?
2: So Dan Mihalopoulos in September reported that Maya Solis um, had not reported um, an instance of sexual harassment from one of her employees, um, and she, this person had repeatedly told her about it, um, and so she Maya Solis um, resigned her position. Um, after that story, also Melopoulos is my cousin, according to Ancestry DNA. <laughs> what? Yes, we found this out on Ancestry DNA. Your cousins? Yes, we are cousins.
1: Like thirty-fourth cousins, or we just are like... like
2: three. It's like fourth or fifth. You're, but we're you're from that's amazing. You're, you're both
1: proud Greek Americans, so you're proud Greek Polish Americans. <laughs> yes, that's
2: right. We, yeah, we are cousins. We're from the same town in Greece, wow. <laughs> same little village. But, anyways, back to Maya Solis. So she was keeping this position, you know, even as her father is disgraced alderman. Um, Stepped down in 2019. Um, And so she kind of just had this cushy $126,000 a year job. Um, And she did get like a verbal counseling, like saying, hey, you you did not handle this properly. But after this reporting from Dan in September, it has led to this resignation.
0: Reporting from your cousin Dan. From my cousin Dan, yeah. On to some arts and culture and sports. Paris, Northwestern University pledged to donate $100 million to the community if Evanston allows it to host concerts at its newly proposed stadium. You think Evanston will be persuaded?
1: They really want those concerts at that new stadium. They do. And, I mean, the reason is because they're going to build this big, gleaming new stadium, and it's never going to make any money or pay for itself if it's just going to host a handful of football games every year. So they need to do concerts they initially wanted to do, like, 10 or 12 every year to just kind of bring in some money. The problem is that stadium is... Plopped right down in the middle of a residential neighborhood, and the folks or uh, that live around there don't want all the hassle that comes with uh, people going to a concert a on concert a Saturday night. night. Yeah, um, and so um, from the latest reporting, it seems like the, the the Evanston City Council is deadlocked on that one right now, and it might come down to the mayor, Daniel Biss, uh, um, you know, being the deciding vote on this. So. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it just depends on, on whether Daniel Biss, uh, you know, wants to side with the residents uh, there or he wants to go see you uh, too or. Uh or Coldplay or or Jay Z or whoever whoever's I can't. T- or Taylor Swift. I don't know. Who's who's gonna be playing concerts at that stadium? I have no idea. Um but I have
0: no idea. Definitely not Taylor. No, yeah, for sure.
1: Probably not no, that's like that's not even half as big a, a venue that Taylor would need. It's a bigger so, a bigger venue. Yeah, the, you know, Northwest it's just been fraught here in in their quest to to build this new stadium, and, and uh, by the time they give away $100 million, how they, where, where are they going to have money left over to actually make money from building this new thing? Although Pat Ryan, the Uber donor of Northwestern, is like giving the lion's share of the money to build the thing. But again, to operate and to sustain itself, it's going to need to make money. And so concerts are the way to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, in Chicago, a lawsuit could be a real buzzkill. For a proposed River North cannabis dispensary, Tina, fill one, us in. Good one. I know, I know. So
2: GRI Holdings, it is a very clout-heavy firm. It's got a lot of state contracts. They are trying to prevent another company from opening a pot shop in the the site of the former River North Rainforest Cafe, which is kind of funny because there's mushrooms on it. I wonder if they'll just keep those mushrooms on it for <laughs> oh my decor. Gosh. But basically, um, the argument is that they cannot open an, a dispensary within 1,500 feet of each other. Um, it's a, but there is a social equity a rule that we have in Illinois where uh, social equity applicants can operate within 1,500 feet. But this firm is trying to fight that. They're, they're suing the state in this lawsuit saying that um, they should not be able to open. They're very, they're very close to each other. They mm. operate the Green Rose Dispensary very close by.
0: I mean, what do you think, Dan? Your thoughts on the, the Rainforest Cafe Building with, with so, as Tina mentioned, these gigantic mushrooms now becoming a cannabis shop.
3: Uh, I'm, when I first moved here, I was um, staying in a building very near there, and I think you know, great, use use it up, get it open. Um, I think kind of just on sort of weed and and uh, the legalization of it. You know, Illinois—it's a real surprising success story, and I think it's working well here. There's um, the state's taking a lot of revenue, and without. Massive increases in the number of people smoking. And I think that, you know, if you contrast it to some other states that have legalized, you know, particularly New York states, where they're not really taking any revenue in at all, they just seem to have legalized the black market. So, kind of, it's, it's great that people want to invest money in fancy um, dispensaries here. And the, the well, I'm not a wee person myself, but I'm told they're like, you to a dispensary here, it's like an Apple store, it's incredibly fancy, it's high end. I think that's good policy.
0: Let's squeeze in a little sports, and I'm looking at you, Paris, because the Bears lost another assistant coach. Are you shocked?
1: (laughs) Wake me up when the Bears are relevant. They're 2-6, and you know. Their GM keeps saying, we're rebuilding, we're on our way. The culture is great. The coach, Matt Everflus comes out and says, our culture is great. This is their second assistant coach that had to go. This is uh, the running back coach, uh, Walker. Um, and it, apparently, it was another HR issue. Remember, the defensive coordinator Alan Williams uh, was forced to leave because of an HR issue as well. What kind of culture is going on here? Mm-hmm. What what kind of you know what it's not kind not looking of, good over there? What kind of ship are they running here? Um, but uh, and that's on top of the fact that they're two and six. They were three and fourteen last year. So under this coach and under this general manager, they're five and twenty. And apparently, you know, uh, from from all indications, the ownership of the Bears is just fine with that, and fans should just. Uh, be happy uh, about a a team that has been horrible for a long time, seems to have no uh, upward direction and can't get its house in order in terms of, uh, you know... Uh, coaches following HR rules.
0: Yeah. Well, a, a legendary sports figure from Indiana has died, Paris. Uh, give us your thoughts on Bobby Knight's legacy.
1: Well, Bobby Knight's legacy, I mean, if you were a Hoosier, I mean, he's the greatest coach of all time. All, all Indiana Hoosiers love him. Uh, one of the winningest coaches of all time, national champion, died at 83 years old. If you're not a Hoosier fan, you're not a big Bobby Knight fan. You look to him as the guy that, you know, had a horrible temper and would throw chairs across uh, the uh, the, the basketball court, but no doubt, I mean, a, a legend, um, in college basketball, in the NCAA controversial, I think among some, um, and, uh, uh you know, someone up there in sort of the Mount Olympus of, of figures in co- uh, college basketball with like a Mike Shashevsky from Duke, uh and, uh, and, 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 a handful of other coaches. Yeah.
0: Now, as we get closer to the end of the recap, we usually Ask folks, you know, what they're going to be paying attention to next week. But I have a pretty good idea of one thing that we're all going to be watching, and that is old school politics on full display Mm. as the the city's longest serving alderman Ed Burke goes on trial. I mean, I think it's going to be like a a civics lesson in Chicago politics. Am I right?
1: It certainly is going to be a civics lesson. Is so much so that um, the jurors are going to get a civics lesson. The judges allowed. Uh, an academic, uh, Connie Mixon, to come in and sort of explain to jurors how city government works so they can understand the context of all these Ed Burke charges and the fact that, as uh, Daniel mentioned before, there are these 50 little mayors of their little fiefdoms, and they have control over things like development and permitting and permits for, like, signs you want to put a sign up. And this is at the heart of the Ed Burke case. Ed Burke... Allegedly, you know, held up a lot of official city action for contractors seeking to do business with the city um, because he wanted them to sign up with his private property tax firm. He said, "You want to, you want to get me to get your." Permit uh, done, Burger King or uh, post office. Then you got to hire my law firm to get your property taxes yeah. reduced. What,
0: what are they, the rest of you folks going to be watching for next I, week? I will say,
2: with the Ed Burke trial, it is interesting that they they are going to have this expert on because during I cover the ComEd trial with John Seidel, our federal courts reporter, and they fought to have uh, Dick Simpson testify mm-hmm. about the machine, and they didn't. They he was not able to testify. They they ruled against it, and so it is the same prosecutors. Some of the same prosecutors in the Ed Burke case in the ComEd trial. So it's interesting to see what the jurors will hear from this expert about Chicago history. It's,
1: it's really all they need to do is, uh, you know, bring in a couple journalists that have covered City Hall for, for many years. <laughs> but I I wonder if the difference is Dick Simpson um, has written so many books, you know, being so Super critical um, of, of government in Chicago. And I wonder if they went with uh, an academic like Connie Mixon this time uh, because they felt that maybe that was more neutral. Yes, I think I they know. learned
2: a lesson and they did say she will be presenting facts. She will right. not be presenting an opinion on the machine. Right. Yeah, no, right. we, I mean,
0: Connie Mixon, we've had her on. She's from Elmhurst College and it, she's got a lot of good insights. So this this should be interesting. Uh, Burke's lawyers want to question potential jurors about their views on the war between Israel and Hamas. What's that about, Dan?
3: Uh, Well, it seems like they were worried about uh, some of the comments he's on on recorded (laughs) saying about um, the Jews uh, and money and lawyers. And he...
1: No uh, stereotypes
3: there yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> None whatsoever. And, um, and everybody's very tense about um, what's happening in the Holy Land. And so they put up this idea that those, those comments shouldn't be put in front of the jury. And, it, mm. as, and, and I, I believe they said, no, 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 the jury can hear those, which sounds fair enough to me.
1: Can, can I bring <laughs> up one very interesting thing to follow here is the defense wants to put Daniel Solis, the former alderman, on the stand. Danny Solis was the linchpin for this whole case. Former alderman, he got caught up in his own legal trouble, so he went to work for the government. As a mole wore a wire, took all the orders that the government gave him and said, OK, go uh, pretend that you're trying to get Ed Burke to do this and that and the other. And, and the defense doesn't want to make an entrapment case, but they do want to sort of um, shed light on the reliability of Danny Solis and then this deal that he got to avoid. Any kind of uh, punishment just because he went to work for the government. Can
0: I just say this all sounds like a scene from it, a movie? It's, it's law and order. It's I mean, it's, that, I can't believe this is real. Um, next week, what's also happening, Dan, is uh, you're keeping an eye on something in another Midwest state that could impact us in Illinois. What's that?
3: Yes, I'm very much watching Burke. But the other thing that is happening next week is um, Ohio has a referendum on whether to enshrine a right to an abortion into their state constitution, which is something that the kind of local GOP, you know, Dominate the state have fought quite hard to stop, but it's come in via sort of a citizen's, you know, proposal, lots of uh, petitions. It seems I guess that it's going to pass. Um, and abortion, you know, has been such a big driver of Midwestern politics in the last year. It helped the Democrats take back over in Michigan. It helped them take control of the Supreme Court in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously, you know, here in, in Illinois thing uh, with Governor Pritzker. So. Um, um, and his ambitions, you know, Illinois has had a huge increase in number of abortions that have been been kind of, that have happened here as people have come from elsewhere in the Midwest to get them, uh, and it's a big part of, of, of Governor Pritzker's kind of um, his persona, what he's spending his sort of mm-hmm. his philanthropic money on. So, um, so it'll be an indicator of whether that's still. You know, as as strong an issue as it was in say the midterms last year.
0: Interesting, Tina. This Ohio vote something that Governor Pritzker's new abortion rights nonprofit's also been involved in. What, what's Think Big America?
2: Uh, Think Big America. The governor launched it a couple of weeks ago. It is a nonprofit. They will. It's it's a dark money group. They will not have to reveal who their donors are, but it is aimed at helping initiatives like the Ohio initiative in Nevada, um, and so this week Pritzker's uh, Think Big America. To donate some money to Virginia, Ohio, and Nevada. Nevada wants to have a referendum on the ballot next year. Ohio, as we said, is next week, and Virginia actually isn't. It's in House and Senate races. Um, the governor gave money to some candidates because Republicans are hoping to flip the Senate there, and if uh, it's already controlled by Republicans in the House. And their uh, Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, who obviously has his own ambitions, has said that he would sign a 15-week abortion ban. So uh, that is why the governor is interested in that race. So we will see what happens in that next week.
0: Well, folks, Halloween has come and gone, but plenty of pumpkins are still around. And the Department of Streets and Sanitation wants everyone to know about smashing pumpkins. No.
1: Billy Corgan. Not
0: talking about the band. Talk about the chance to compost your pumpkins at 10 different Pumpkin Smash composting events that are being held throughout the city tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Better than putting it in the trash, right?
1: I keep mine um, all the way up through Thanksgiving and then it starts to rot and then, you know. <laughs> it's really small. It gets really small, <laughs> Yeah. I didn't anyone do any cool com- pumpkin carving this year? No, I didn't do anything. No, I,
0: didn't. I love pumpkin yeah,
2: seeds. That's what I regret yeah. not doing it for the seeds. I love roasting pumpkin seeds. Yeah, that's very Did
1: good. Did
3: you partake, Dan? So my wife bought a giant pumpkin, carved it, and then has converted it into soup. She's used the whole mm. thing, so I'm very impressed, but I had Sounds nothing to
0: great. That. That's a smart lady right there. Um, uh, well, now that we're putting the pumpkins behind us, well, most of us not Paris. Uh, that means Christmas, aka Mariah Carey season. Is upon us, right? She's Thank boring. God
1: WBEZ isn't playing Christmas music already. Well,
0: local light FM radio is already in this area. I, th- I think
1: they start in August now, like with just all Christmas they, music. Yeah,
0: they Excuse started me. playing round-the-clock Christmas music You can't music start yesterday. Christmas
1: music until the last leaf has fallen from the tree, okay? <laughs> That's my rule.
0: Listen, our, our engineer, Ethan Schwab, says, don't tempt me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> About
0: playing, Christmas, playing music. Christmas music. He's like, I could do it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Tell us, listeners.
1: <laughs> Give us a call now, 866 915 Nothing against Christmas WB-E-Z. music. It's just not Christmas <laughs> season yet, or holiday just season just in general. I'm okay with I it. I want
2: Hallmark yeah. right now. I, I like Let my It gifts. Be, the
3: Beatles, much better. Yeah. One of my favorite things about being an immigrant and moving to America is that you have Thanksgiving, which provides right. this flock to a, Christmas. It means that we don't miss uh, do Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving
2: Target so, has all this stuff up. Sorry, I'm
0: still Canadian, <laughs> you know, all the way, and I celebrate Thanksgiving in October, and so I have that nice cushion of two months which makes a lot more sense to, you know, get your finances in order and prepare for Christmas. But I am fully in the spirit. One of my favorite R&B artists, Brandy, is putting out a her very first Christmas album. I'm super excited. And so, yeah, you guys are party poopers. Anyway. <laughs> Merry
1: Christmas, everybody, and <laughs> Merry, happy holidays. Merry
0: Christmas and a happy new... Happy November e- 2nd. Happy New Year. Anybody got a 30-second story that... We missed this week that you think I uh, should. Did everyone see the dog out?
2: story that my colleague wrote about the therapy dogs who will be in the Burke courtroom? No. You should read it. Oh. There's two gigantic Bernese mountain dogs. Their names are Bernie and Juneberg. Is that at sometimes.com? Yes, it is. Um, Judge Virginia Kendall always has these dogs by her side. So you, we had to explain it because you'd be hearing panting in the courtroom and wondering what's going on. That is true. So it, it, it they are therapy dogs. They will calm everyone down. Burke can get some, th- some therapy if he needs it. <laughs> but also, they also signal when she doesn't take a breakup on time Ah. they'll start making noises
0: i'm glad you flagged that for us tina (laughs) we'll leave it there that's it for the weekly news recap my thanks to daniel knowles of the economist magazine wttw's paris shuts and tina spondellas of the chicago sun times thank you for helping us catch up on the week's top stories thank you thank you This episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Andrea Guthman and edited by Dan Tucker and Brenda Ruiz. We host this panel discussion every week. And if you never want to miss another recap, consider subscribing to the pod. We bring you new conversations every day from Monday to Friday with an extra pod tomorrow. That's all for Reset Today. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend.